This episode is brought to you by Dua Lipa and her inspirational quote. My love is like a rocket watch it blast off. And I'm feeling so electric that's my ass off. And even if I wanted to, I can't stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast, my people. Hello, my people! ¿Cómo están, damas y caballeros? Welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast, where I welcome people with remarkable stories for amazingly vulnerable conversations. This episode with Rebecca Love was beautiful. Vulnerability at its best. The thing I love the most about Rebecca is that she speaks up, and by speaking up, she literally gives a voice to those who have lost it, which is part of the purpose of this podcast, by the way. And she also does something extraordinarily well, which is healing through sharing. In other words, by sharing so much, she heals in the process. Here's her bio so you can get a bit more excited because I'm very excited. Rebecca Love is a Toronto-based filmmaker, writer, visual artist, and community organizer. She studied at the University of King's College, then completed a BFA in film production at Ryerson University and an MFA at the University of Guelph in creative writing. She has produced eight short films focusing on love, illness, and neighborhoods. These stories have played on TIFF, VIF, FNC, Kingston, The Future of Film Showcase, and CBC. Now available on CBC Gem, Rebecca's latest short film, Parlor Palm, looks closely at the intersection of psychiatry and climate change. Here's a description so you can get excited. An overworked lawyer attempts to care for his partner while she descends into a climate change anxiety-fueled manic episode. Ooh. You can actually see the trailer in the show notes if you actually want to see it. And you can jump straight into the movie, on into the short film on CBC Gem, because I'm also putting the link in the show notes. My friends, Rebecca is interested in questions relating to mental health, city planning, art history, folk storytelling, and has been very open about her journey living with bipolar disorder and arthritis. Brownie points, my friends. If you're listening to this episode on Spotify or watching the episode on YouTube, and you want to leave us a comment, review, like, and or subscribe, bunch of brownie points you're getting a billion brownie points and even more brownie points if you really like the episode share it on your social media facebook instagram twitter grinder icq high five whatever you want and share it and tag us instagram stories we love tag us there at stefan dyer at becklev b-e-k-k-l-e-v that's rebecca's instagram all right my friends she is brilliant. She is creative. She is one of my favorite writers. Enjoy this episode with Rebecca Love like I know you will. In three, two, one, go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast. I have here the unbreakable, the unmistakable, the highly capable, the legend, the genius 
Rebecca Love. How are you, Rebecca? Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me today. This is lovely. Listen, I am a, a big fan of yours. Obviously, we know we know each other probably like 15 years ago or more. Yeah. Because I went to, to boarding school with Patrick, your brother, with P. Love. Yeah. Who's a great friend. And because of Patrick, when, when we were in Quebec and, and then we came to U of T together, I met you and, and, and your dad. We, we would drive us to Sunday soccer. Sunday and soccer, we would, yeah. I've been to your house so many times. Yeah. So your, your mother, Bridget, is, is a lovely, lovely human being as well. And we haven't talked in years. It's been a long time. But I've been following your, your journey and I am the biggest fan, not just of your short films and your movies, and your, but your writing <laughs> on Facebook. You've been, I, I think, I was telling you behind the scenes that I think one of your biggest talents, in line with me telling you why I invited you, which is a podcast tradition, one of your biggest talents is verbalizing what you're feeling. Mm. And in many ways, because you've been so open about your, your mental health, mm. and because you live with a bipolar disorder mm. and arthritis, and mm. you've been very open about this. Mm. I think you've given a voice to those who have lost it or don't mm. want to speak up. Mm. And I'm not saying that your courage means the lack of their courage for not speaking mm. up. Mm. But I just feel like it seems like you speaking up makes other people be seen and heard. So I just wanted oh. to tell you that before we started. And <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's a big reason why, why I invited you apart from our, our friendship through Patrick and, yeah. and your parents uh, being uh, ki kind of in a way second parents to me because uh, I didn't have really anyone here. And, and for yeah. the longest time I would go to your place do soccer. Patrick was one of my best friends. So uh, yeah. very happy to have you here. Well, we always loved having you over and you always brought the jokes and you're a wonderful <laughs> soccer player. And oh, we all have very fond memories of, of hanging out. And like mom is often saying, oh, you know, it's fun doing it. Like it's, you know, it was a lovely time. It was a fun time getting to know you. And and uh, and I'm so impressed with everything you've accomplished. Thank it's you. wild. I just see everything you're up to. And it's um, it's inspiring, I think, and I think a lot of people look at you that way. They look at what you've what you've done with your life so far, and they say, like, that's. I wish I could do that, or like, how you know, how does he make this happen? Because it's so exciting and cool, and and you're creating community, and you're thank you, yeah, it's 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 amazing. <laughs> thank you for saying that because it it really means a lot when people who've seen my entire journey mm. kind of seen that change and mm. you knew me first as as a high school guy I guess when mm. I when I would be with P-Love then at U of mm. T then I would mm. be the banker guy mm. then when I would be the comedian guy mm. <laughs> and now I'm a dad yeah. and so it has evolved but but we're here to talk about you okay <laughs> and, and me a little bit as my <laughs> listeners know I like to talk about myself a lot I'm really curious what was your childhood like and how do you think it was different to other people's childhoods or to rephrase that what was your childhood like and did you perceive it in a different way than other children perceive it did you live it in a different way what was it like that's an amazing question i think that i lived the most beautiful happy 
fairy tale childhood that I, I could think like it's yeah I just I lived this lovely childhood um I had two loving parents I had a brother who I in adored. Toronto yeah. Ontario St. Clair Toronto yeah we grew up in Toronto um and um I was very creative I put on a lot of plays in my backyard. I did a lot of drawing. I did girl guides. I played soccer. I played volleyball, softball. Um, like just, you know, my mom was always creating delicious food and there was just a lot of love in the house and a lot of warmth. And um, my my family is a family that really cherishes storytelling. Yes. Like my, my parents are always reading stories out loud to each other. And ever since I was a little girl, we would, we would hear about, we would just, yeah, surrounded by stories always. Um, and that sort of left an impression on me, I think. Um, so childhood was blissful. It was like, I, I look, cause you know, later on, and we'll maybe get into this. I, I, I had some struggles with my life, just, you know, um, dealing with, mental health issues and physical health issues. So I would always sort of look back to this little stretch in my life being like, well, this was such a happy time in, in my life and, and try to sort of celebrate that and, and, and just. Definitely. Yeah. It seems like your parents are different, but they are a killer combination. Oh, they work very well your, together. Your yeah. mom is energy. It's like, passion like screaming smiling being welcoming in the house and peter is the kind i mean not to say that your mom isn't kind she's really kind but peter is like quiet kind just behind the curtain trying just helping everyone out drive i remember he would drive me like from sunday soccer could have just dropped me off at the subway by Lawrence or whatever. Yeah. Drive me back to the house. He would yeah. pick Eduardo and me from from the house or from Kensington yeah. with P-Love. And, and he would drive us. And from the other things that I remember about your dad is he's a lawyer, right? He's a yeah. lawyer. Yeah. And something always stuck with me. Apart from him reading and being really smart, he would write letters to the editor, right? Oh, yeah. Of yeah. like the Globe and Mail or yeah. the Toronto Star? Yeah, Globe and Mail, and he's written for the Toronto Star as well. <laughs> he cares he cares deeply about um democracy and um got questions of government and yeah. So did yeah. you did you grow up in um very not politically motivated, but in a family that talked about politics a lot? Yeah, yeah. We spoke about politics a lot. Yeah. I think that's that's fantastic because I would love to know more about politics and to be honest, to care more about politics. I come from Costa Rica where there's no army. It's uh, largely peaceful. And then Canada, it's it's largely peaceful. And the fact that I wasn't from here kind of caused in me something like, well, uh, why would I care? I'm not even from here. I'm going to go back anyways. Mm. But the... But my wife is from Venezuela and mm. everybody cares about politics because mm. it has a huge impact. Right. And I think it's a big mistake on my part to live to, to think that because I live in Canada, which is a, one of the best countries in the world and very mm. peaceful and, and largely democratic, that I shouldn't have to care. Mm. It, we should have to care. Mm. And did you ever 
take that to the next step? Did you ever want to run for, for, for office or, or the student councils? Yes, definitely. So growing up in a family that cared deeply about um, the country's political life, I was, um, I was involved in lots of conversations, especially about federal politics, like municipal, provincial, sure, but like conversations around federal politics were huge in my family. And um, so as a young woman, I, you know, as 12, 13, and my brother was off at school, right? So I suddenly, yeah. be- I suddenly became an only child, sort of, because <laughs> I didn't exactly. have my brother around. So I was 12, and I was suddenly expected to um, spend a lot of time with adults. Around 12, 13, 14, I was spending a lot of time with adults and, and very involved in, in conversations about um, Paul Martin and Stephen Harper and um, the war in Afghanistan and um, the war in Iraq. Like, you know, that's what my family was talking about a lot when I was young. So so when I went into high school, I was obviously like parroting, <laughs> parroting these little opinions that I was hearing at the dinner table. Uh, and like nobody else in my year really cared, like in high school, like yes. nobody really cared about, about federal politics. So I was a little bit, I don't want to say, like I wasn't, um, I wasn't a loser or anything like that, but I, uh, the yeah. things that were like occupying my mind, the ideas that were occupying my mind were like very different from yeah. what the rest of my classmates were thinking about, I think, because I was just, uh, yeah. Um, so I like, I was, um, I, I did student council, I did Maudian Nations, I did debating, I did, um, uh, library forum, student newspaper. Like I did any club I could think of that would, that would encourage my curiosity around all of these questions about governance and how to, how to run a country and what are the big questions of the day that we're asking ourselves about, um, about, um, government policy. And, um, so this, and, and at, like at, at 12, 13, I was like, I want to be a prime minister. I want to be a member of parliament. Like we've never had a female prime minister who's been, officially elected by the people we've had uh, who's a woman we've had kim campbell but she she wasn't elected by the people she she and she only stayed for like a very short period of time so in my like little 13 year old mind i was like this is what i want to dedicate my life to i want to you know i want to run for office and i want to serve my community and i want to um yeah so that's (laughs) did you did you feel at times like a fish out of water in my high school yeah yeah i like i i I, um, I was, I don't want to call myself an oddball, but I also, um, yeah, I, I was just interested in very different things from most of my high school classmates at that time in my life. And I, like, I also did a lot of sports. I play, I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of like creative things, but, um, but definitely at that time, like between 12 and like 16, 17, I was very interested in these, in these questions about politics that's not to say I knew a lot or that I was particularly well like well versed like I I, my understanding of all these questions was quite I don't want to say superficial but like I I I I didn't quite understand everything yeah it seems to me from a distance the way I viewed you in high school or university when you were finishing up first of all you were in the in the Toronto French school and you spoke French yeah. like oh, fluently, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And I always from a distance I'm like she's brilliant and <laughs> and very passionate. <laughs> and it always seemed to me like you and Patrick coming from your parents like being being growing up in that household. Yeah. You both had a deep sense of 
passion and appreciation for specific things. Yeah. And I think uh, now that I'm 33, not that I'm uh, very old or whatever, but it it seemed like that's half the battle. Like sometimes my wife and other people tell me like, I wish I was passionate about something. Right. I wish right. I found that, you know? Right, right, right. right. And, and P-Love, I remember when we got into university, he was all about Apple. Oh, and yeah. he loved Steve Jobs, and yeah. it, it was refreshing to see somebody so passionate. And it got you; it got me interested in it too. Yeah. And yeah. then it was like DJing, and then it was all these other things. And you, it was like theater. It was it, it was writing. You had all kinds of things, and I'm like, wow, like what am I passionate about apart from soccer? You know, <laughs> <laughs> comedy came later on. It, mm. it seemed like I thought I was funny, but nobody else thought it, and I didn't even think you could do this as a career. Mm. So. Uh, when did when did you know I want to do short films? I want to do uh, writing. Did you pursue it immediately after high school or did you study anything before you pursued this? So, um, so they're kind of concurrent interests, if that makes sense. It's like on the one hand, I'm interested in politics. On the other hand, I was very, very interested in theater. I acted in all the school plays all throughout high school. And then in my summers, I would, I would work at a theater arts camp at Upper Canada College, like just doing a lot of theater. Yeah. And in a sense, they're very similar theater and politics. Like they're, they're really, they, they, they intertwine, right? They're, they're performative, both of them. And, um, you know, you're both in both arenas, you're wrestling with very complicated ideas. And, um, there's a lot of sort of staging or, um, yeah, performing, persuading, right? persuading. Yeah. They're, they're very similar for it's the extrovert. Like, you know, if you're an extrovert, if you have a lot of energy that, that enjoys sort of, um, externalizing and, and engaging with lots of people and, and getting up and standing in front of a group of people and talking, like they're both so similar. Um, I love that. Yeah. So, um, so I was doing a lot of theater, um, and I was very interested in playwriting and directing. And um, so started with theater. That's how it started. And this, this camp that I went to at Upper Canada College was like, it was unreal. Like it was, there were all these counselors who were just really fascinated by theater and, and art. And it was a wonderful uh, experience for me. And, um, yeah, so I bought my first camcorder when I was 16. I saved up my money from working at the summer camp and I bought my camcorder and I started just filming just random things, almost like do little documentaries or little moments. Like, you know, if you have your iPhone and you just film random things, like with Instagram stories, that's, I was in one of, uh, I was in one of your first, I'm not sure if it was the first one, but I remember P love and Nick yeah. and me were yeah. in a couple of these. Yeah, you were, yeah, you were in pitching for the Heights, which was my first film. So like, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole story. I don't know if you want me to get into it, but I, I went to university for my first year of university and I was elected into student government. And, and at the very end of that year, I had my first manic episode and psychosis. Like that's where my bipolar hit. Can you, can you define that? What, what is a manic episode and what sure, is bipolar sure. disorder? So bipolar disorder is a disorder that I live with. It's a psychological, like it's a mental illness and, um, it's a condition, it's a mood disorder. Okay. So it's a condition where if you're not on medications, your mood can really fluctuate in extremes from like catatonic depression where you like can't get out of bed and you, okay. you just want to die um, to like mania and psychosis, which is the other side of the spectrum, which is where you're, you're so excited, 
sometimes you stop eating, you stop sleeping, you're like, maybe you're really excited about some art project you're working on, or maybe you're in love and you're like really like excited, or maybe you've been exposed to some idea that's shaken you up and you can't stop thinking about it. Or maybe you're reading philosophy and your mind is blown. So mania, like I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm like, I probably am going to butcher this when I try to describe to you the exact, the, the medical definition, but like, Sometimes with mania, you feel really euphoric. You feel really happy. And you're like, everything is amazing. This is so great. It's the opposite of depression, right? It's like, you're like walking around and you're like, I feel great. Everything (laughs) is beautiful. And I'm, but if that feeling reaches like an extreme, sometimes you can lose touch with reality. Okay. Where you, you, you can't, um, grasp you can't grasp what's really happening in the world and you might like you might suffer from delusions of grandeur so you might think that you're jesus or you might think that you're mother mary or you might think that you're martin luther king um you might get paranoid you might be worried that someone's attacking you or someone's going to hurt you um some people talk to themselves in psychosis where they're like like many people have seen um you know um homeless Exactly. People on the street and they're talking to themselves. So uh, psychosis is sort of like, again, I'm not a doctor, so, but it's, they're all sort of part of this condition. And if you're on medication, you can live a like very stable life uh, where you're, you're not really experiencing these, these incredible highs and lows of anyway. So I was diagnosed with that condition right after my first year of university, I was, um, I was, I was in student government and I was very excited to start, you know, continue pursuing this path. Of, Did you take some time off? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then that's where I was like, oh, I shouldn't be a politician because it's, the stakes are too high for me. So then I transitioned into film. I went to film school. It seems like filming, which my brother loves as well, he loves the part of being able to have control of things Yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah redoing it yeah working with the editor yeah. and then once you're comfortable with it because you can control it let's get the world to see it yeah uh so i i uh i like that i had an i had a an, an era i had a stage where i would do vines all the mm. time like mm. i did like maybe 300 or 400 mm. vines mm. from three from 2013 to 2015 i think mm. and once i tasted live performance i was like i can't go back (laughs) and and to this day i haven't done more videos and i kind of miss it but i i really love the instant feedback a lot Mm. and uh, that's the beauty of it Mm. you get to try different things Mm. and then make your own conclusions in in addition to um, or in line with you being open about your bipolar disorder and Mm. your eye threat arthritis On one of your articles, on one of your your, uh, posts, you've talked about suicidal thoughts. And I really Mm. admire you for Mm. opening up about this. Mm. In in this article, in this post, you said you you check into the emergency room about once a year with pretty extreme symptoms of suicidal ideation. Mm. Per your writing, you said this is just 
one part of my disease I've grown accustomed to. Mm. I no longer make a big fuzz about it. Mm. I live with the belief that we all struggle with suicidally, suicidality, suicidality at some point in our lives. And those who live with manic depression are just prone to these feelings, to feeling these feelings with greater intensity and frequency. Mm. Was there a specific reason you decided to open up about it? Because I do feel that you have helped so many people feel seen and heard and in many ways reduce the, reduce the stigma mm. and make it, I don't know if more normal is the word, mm. but mm. less like looked down upon. Mm. Mm. Was there a specific reason why you decided to open up about it? Sure. So um, for the past three weeks, I've been promoting my film, which is called Parlor Palm, which deals with manic depression. And it deals with psychosis and it's yeah. a short film. It, uh, it's on CBC gem right now. And, um, it deals with a woman who's suffering from mania and psychosis. She's, she's sort of breaking down. And, um, in that post, I'm really, I'm more talking about, um, the psychotic patients. You're not supposed to say psychotic patients. You're saying patients who live with psychosis. Okay. Um, in, in emergency rooms. That's like, that's what I was sort of focusing on in, yes. that, in that piece. But I also, I did want to talk about my own experience because I think that, like you say, suicidality um, is, I think, I mean, I talk to my friends, I talk to people in my life. I think we all live with it. Yeah. I, think, I think, I think it's very, I mean, some people may be a little bit more than others and some people really struggle with these questions and end up in the emergency room more often than others. Um, but based on my conversations with the people in my life, like it's something that we, it's human, it's human yes. to ask yourself this question. Well, what if I wasn't here anymore? And, um, and it's, I mean, it's a complicated question to bring up in any kind of situation because, um, it's triggering to yeah. talk about it. And some people don't want to talk about it without having some trigger warning because it might get them thinking about their own suicidality you know so it, like you can't just like it's tricky like i think i put a suicidality warning on my on my post but like you can't just you can't just bring it up and be like you know without giving people warning you're going to talk about it but i think it is something that uh people struggle with sometimes maybe maybe often for other people um and i i guess when i when i write when i make movies like i i try not to fear taboo topics and I love that and, and I think like I I I'm in an interesting position in the world because on the one hand I live with these conditions that have been very challenging for me and and have made it hard for me to work and hard for me to date at times in my life um but on the other hand I live with extreme privilege like I live with an extreme privilege of like um, just the world that I grew up in and I was educated and I, you know, and all these things. And I, I see myself in this position where like, it's, it's tricky because like on the one hand, I, I can talk about these things and I have no fear. Like I have no fear. I never, like I write about that. I post it on my Facebook and a thousand people see it. I'm like, I just don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> like this is like, this is important to me. And I, I think other people, it will resonate with them. And I have no, I don't, I don't like, I don't get too anxious about, and sometimes I get a little bit 
sometimes I get a little bit terrified, but but for the most part, like I do this because it's, it's easy for me to talk about these things. And you're really um, good at writing. Which thanks. I, <laughs> <laughs> I deeply admire you apart from all the other things. Yeah, but I think I think um, I I think we just need to get more people talking about these things and opening up about what they live with and their struggles. Because when I was first diagnosed with bipolar, I was so alone. Like no nobody was talking about bipolar publicly. Nobody was talking about psychosis publicly. So what what ended up happening is I stewed in my own shame, and yeah. I was so embarrassed, and I. I was, I, I was isolated and like, I, I felt so alone. So that's where I'm like, okay, now I'm at a different stage in my life. And like, maybe there's some teenager out there who's just been diagnosed with some kind of complicated mental health condition. And it's so important to communicate to them that like your life isn't over. Like you can still do really exciting things. Like you're still a loved person. You're still, your pain is important. Your story is important. You should be able to talk about your stuff if you want to, if you don't want to, that's okay. But, um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. When, when you mentioned the word privilege, I'm, I'm really interested in your opinion about this because sometimes in my party phase, 2013, 14, you could say 15, I would be a fucking party animal. And the next day I, I would have something that I call, not a hangover. It wasn't a hangover because I yeah. felt incredible the next day, like uh, as if nothing would have happened physically. Yeah. But I would experience something that I call uh, chronic nostalgia where <laughs> I would get so nostalgic about not being in Costa Rica with my mm. brothers mm. or mm. seeing my nieces grow up. Or what what would have happened if my parents had had never moved to to Costa Rica? What, what would my life be in like Peru? Mm. Or um, or sad about my career not taking off? Mm. Or and then sometimes I would feel like something bad was going to happen to me. Mm. Like like I don't know. Like I was going to go and I was going to fight with someone at the restaurant. Not physically, but mm. just really. Um, averse to conflict mm. and anything would make me emotional and then I was like mm, should I talk about this should I post about this and I'll be like of course not because mm. everyone's going to be like oh the rich like the privileged little kid in Canada living in the first world with a with a job in, in like making so much money in the financial district is a little sad and I would get not I don't know if it's like guilty about my privilege but I would not want to voice my how I was feeling or mm. being open opening up about my anxiety mm. or, or anxiety that later came on when when I quit my job or mm. because I would be fearful mm. of people being like shut the fuck up you like mm. privileged privileged mm. little kid mm. how have you navigated this mm, have yeah. you ever felt in oh. a similar way <laughs> Well, I like I, I I get these kinds of comments. I get these kinds of comments from people being like, "Rebecca, you're so privileged. Stop whining about your life because, like, you're being self pitying and you're like you're not acknowledging your own privilege." And um, there's so many people out there who have it way worse than you do. So sit down, like sit down. I've I've gotten I've definitely had those kinds of comments, and I don't I don't I don't I'm not angry about them, and I don't 
I don't resent being told these things because I think it's, it's sometimes an important perspective to hear. I mean, we, we have this notion of space and how much space you're taking up. And if like, if I'm taking up all the space being like, oh, my life, it's so hard. Um, that's a problem, right? Because it's like, obviously, the life that I lead is very rich and, and exciting. And like, I, I have supports in my life. And I, um, like you're saying, it's like, I, I live with privilege, right? Um, so I think, I think it's about balance and about, um, like, I, I see myself in a position where I can, I can help in some way by talking. Yeah. Um, just because like, some of the communities that I belong to, there's no conversation about any of this. Oh, so good. Right? And it's like any conversation about psychosis or, or bipolar or schizophrenia or like intrusive thoughts or any of these like very sort of complicated mental health conditions, they're held behind closed doors. Yeah. And like there are people in my community who have children who suffer from these conditions and like, or, or their their partner suffers from these conditions and it's just not spoken about at all and it creates such a pain for so much for anyone who's suffering it's also hard to be a caregiver that's also a really hard thing you know if you're taking care of, and this is what my movie's about if you're taking care of someone who's not well that's also enormously stressful and we don't talk about that stress either so i i i hear exactly what you're saying and first of all i'm sorry like that sounds really <laughs> hard what you what you were up against and also to like have to keep it inside that sounds really stressful. But I think the reality is it's like we're all human and we all live with pain within us. It's human. And, yeah. um, and I think to say that like, oh, you're not allowed to comment on your own pain. Yeah. It's like, well, we like we all we all have different pains and um again, I think I think taking up all the space in the room with your pain is probably not a good idea. And sometimes I struggle with this because I am a person who takes up a lot of space. And I, <laughs> like, so I have to remind myself, like, Rebecca, stop taking up so much space with your pain. But I think um, just what you're describing to me about about what you live through, it's like, that sounds hard. And, and if you wanted to express your challenges, you should, you know, you should yeah, be you, able to, right? You should be able to. Yeah, just because and again, this is going to sound very privileged or shitty, but just because somebody across the world is having a shitty time doesn't invalidate right. my experience of whatever I'm feeling. And it doesn't take away the right for me to try to heal through voicing my opinion and, yeah. and, and understanding that I'm I'm not alone as well. Definitely. And I think what you've just said about like voicing as a way of healing yeah. Like that's all I've done my whole adult life is like I create my movies and it's some of them deal directly with the conditions that I live with. And it's so healing to just process through creation and through voicing. Same. If people want to watch them, that's great. If people don't want to watch these movies, that's we'll, okay too. We'll put the like, link on, on the show <laughs> okay, notes okay. as well. <laughs> and But the same. I think comedy is truth and pain. And by speaking of my pains on stage it mm. it does it does heal you and mm. all my students or the majority of my public speaking through comedy students that has been one of the biggest feedbacks mm. i feel so much better and i feel so much more confident about mm. who i am mm. after this course mm. Mm. when you're a creator a writer a, a director 
and you have to constantly be promoting your own work, which you're doing right now. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're going to radio, you're, you're, you're writing, you're doing all these things. And I've done it when I've toured in other countries. Mm. Mm. It can be draining. Oh my gosh, that's all to, I've been thinking about. To this smile week. <laughs> and pretend like everything's all right. I have it all figured out. And and at the beginning in 2017, when I had just quit my job, I I, I got invited to a radio station, and it was like at 5 a.m. Mm. And I did the impossible to be there because I felt like if I didn't go, right. my career would be fucking over. It, right, it's right. done, you know? <laughs> and I I would leave at like 8 a.m. First of all, you speak like for 45 seconds, and but you're there and then you have to like like do the jokes and do this and be that guy that everybody I thought wanted to see. Yeah. And at 9 a.m., I was done. I was like so drained. Mm. So... If you're battling with anxiety, if mm. you're battling with, with depression, mm. or if it's not one of the best days, how do you navigate it? You, do you pull, uh, do you go through it? Yeah. Or, or um, do, have you toned it down? Now I don't give a fuck. I'm, some people are like, uh, you're going to come and make us laugh. I'm like, no, man, I'm just here. to. <laughs> and then it turns out to be like a philosophy conversation about vulnerability. <laughs> They're like, I thought we brought in a comedian. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm just going to be myself. I don't get, I don't care anymore. Yeah. I mean, I've been asking myself all these questions the past three weeks because I've been promoting my film and it is emotionally exhausting for me. It's like, I'm not a comedian, right? So I'm not making people laugh. Yeah. I'm not a funny person, but for me, it's like, I'm like pulling out all of my trauma Yeah, and like all of my hardest memories and the, like the most stressful stuff I've ever had to deal with. And I'm trying to like, share those stories as a way to try and encourage people to watch my movie. And I feel, I don't know, there's a part of it that's just like really emotionally exhausting where you're like, I don't want to give you everything. Like I don't yeah, want to give you my definitely. whole, um, that's one thing. And like, and then you get into like, cause I don't work with a PR person. I just do all my promo myself. Same. <laughs> and it's like, then you're like, am I posting too much? What do people think about this? Like, do they think I'm a narcissist? Am I posting on the same way that right, I posted last right, time? Yeah. It's like, am I like, am I being, am I like, are people like nauseated by my social media presence and like all of this like internal monologue that's like, oh my gosh, this is really, it's, it's hard on your, like, I'm going to just sleep for like four days after this is all over. Yeah. Um, but it's also really exciting it's really exciting and like i feel so grateful to be able to speak with you and Thank like you, and, and other people it's like you know for people to be even paying attention to your work that feels nice so it's like it's it's all of this combination of like it feels good but it's also like it you're it asks so much of you you have to give everything yeah. and um so i'm learning right I'm learning. i feel for for artists and and directors and musicians they got to do yeah. all these interviews even comedians doing all these interviews and what I hate the most, and I'm not, again, not complaining about my situation because now it's like, oh, the comedian complaining about having to do all these interviews. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I had that too. Yeah, I was yeah. like, uh, yeah, yesterday so, I was like, oh my God, this is so stressful. And uh, yeah, you just end yeah. up sounding like so, such a little... So yeah. what I battle with <laughs> is that, I don't know how to say this, but my identity in many ways when especially when i quit my job mm. and to do comedy full time it was like the comedian mm. and i doubled down on that so much cuz i 
failure was not an I didn't want to go back to the bank. Mm. That it I was the comedian on the radio. Mm. I was the comedian on stage. Mm. I was the comedian at a lunch. I was mm. a comedian mm. at the movies in my mm. home mm. with my best friends, with my mom. And mm. I'm like, this is not like it's exhausting. It's ex- I'm not this guy all the time. Oh yeah. So to turn it on and turn it off, it's 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 hard. And it's exhausting to to have that switch on all the time. Yeah. Right? It's like sorry, go ahead. So so yeah. So just to finish, when the pandemic started, I'm like, fuck, if I'm not touring, I'm not performing, who the fuck am I? Yeah. If I'm not the comedian anymore. Yeah. And then I was like, I really love to talk about being a dad. Yeah. Being a husband. Yeah. Uh, doing productivity, teaching productivity workshops. Yeah. I love vulnerability in these types of conversations. Yeah. yeah. But I was scared of posting them. Yeah. Because I was scared of people saying, which nobody did, but I was scared of people saying, like, who the fuck are you? Like, I, you're like supposed awful. to make me laugh. You're, you're supposed to post about comedy and make me laugh all the time. Yeah. Because my Instagram profile says comedian. Yeah. Everywhere says comedian. Yeah. So I was battling with these labels that I had created myself. Yeah. And then I'm like, what if I don't want to make you laugh? Yeah. So sometimes have you battled with this where like, what if I don't want to talk about my my battles with mental health oh and God. I want to talk about something else? Yeah. Well, like for me, it gets into branding, right? Like if you've branded yourself as, yeah. a, as, a, as a comedian and then you want to have like a podcast where you talk about vulnerability – it's stressful for you because you're like you're shifting off brand or like you're you're yeah, changing definitely. your personal brand and that's scary for me like yeah i don't love the idea of every single person i know <laughs> being like wow rebecca's bipolar like <laughs> like that's all there is to her that's that's her whole life story she's just um i mean i'm fa- i'm personally fascinated by, by my disease i think it's really interesting yes like i'm like i like i could just think about it forever and it, it, I, I find it really 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 interesting and like i'm very interested in the questions i'm exploring in my work and like the intersection between mental illness and creativity all this stuff i find fascinating but i don't love the idea of being pigeonholed into like this is your whole identity you are a and i i mean it's my fault because i'm the one who's like hey everybody i'm bipolar (laughs) but (laughs) but like you know there's so like we're 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 multi-dimensional humans each of us and you know we may have that's one part of me but like there are other parts of me that i would love to like explore and i'm inspired by you just you Mm. saying that you do your comedic comedy stuff and then but you also wanted to explore vulnerability in podcasts like there's there are lots of parts of me that have nothing to do with my illness that i i haven't really explored as much and uh so i hear you i hear you and it's It's, a struggle it's a struggle it's a it's a decision it's a decision too and for the longest time, I would resent myself or kind of punish myself. Why can't I just fucking focus on one thing? Right. Because I've loved so many things. Right. And, and then I'm like, okay. I, I, and I didn't think I was so attached to my banker identity. And then yeah. after I quit, I'm like, fuck, who am I if I'm, I'm not yeah. Yeah. a suit and tie guy downtown yeah. living the yeah. life? And then with comedy as well. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to double down on being a comedian, go super hard, which I love. I love comedy. Yeah. But then I'm like, now I can't talk about all these things because I've, I've branded myself as that guy. That That's yeah. my identity. Yeah. So now I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to be myself. There's this quote that I love that I al- always mention, and it's escape competition through authenticity. Yeah. And nobody compete with you 
at being you because you're the Cause only you're, per- but it yeah. takes a, it takes time that is a beautiful quote i love that so much it, yeah yeah That's naval yes. he's an incredible podcaster yeah naval. well it's it's and it's it's a, it's can be a challenge like like committing yeah. to authenticity because sometimes there are struggles that come along with with trying to be authentic right especially for me like the big question I think is money, right? If like, if you want to, if you want to pursue a career where you're being authentic, well, how do you, how do you finance that? And like, those are enormous questions, but I think that's a very beautiful quote. And I'm, I'm grateful that you shared it with me. Thank you. I want to ask you just about like what you said about money. One of my biggest mental hurdles was Bank, being a banker, mm. it sounds sexy, mm. and it's socially remunerated. Like it's socially, um, you're well compensated. Compen- compensated, not in money, but back yeah. home. Oh yeah. my god, the banker! Oh, right. He's like a senior manager in Canada, Scotia right. Bank, a international company. And I fucking love status. I oh, love yeah. Yeah. winning in every every single step. I'm really competitive. I love winning. And and looking like I'm winning. So when I w- I made the conscious decision of quitting, and now I'm a comedian like a fucking loser. Because if Latin America, if you're not a doctor, an engineer, or an art like a, or or a lawyer. Or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You're a loser in many countries. Mm, mm. And now you and I went to private schools here and it's impossible mm. to not compare yourself oh, or to God, go on yeah. Instagram or Facebook oh, yeah, yeah. and not worry about how you're going to be perceived. Or even if you're, even if you don't voice it or post when you go to meetings or parties or, or with people that you've mm. gone to high school mm. and like, I was like, Oh, I'm a doctor. I'm studying med- medicine. I'm, 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 they don't say it, but like six figures, blah, 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 blah. I have this house and they drive in with a BMW. Meanwhile, you're just like hiding as you're coming out of the TTC. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, have you battled with that? Oh my God. Have I ever? So I'm the alumni relations like person for my year. So I'm yeah. responsible for bringing everyone together for reunions. And I am the one person in our year who did not pursue like a high salary, like, uh, like I do my own thing. It's very different from, yes. And I have these conversations. I once had a conversation with a man who worked in banking who I went to school with. And he was like, so you're just an independent filmmaker. Like, how are you going to afford to send your kids to private school? And I was oh, like, I, I battled with that, you know, and, a and lot. <laughs> anyways, like what I'm, and I, I talk to a lot of people. Like I, I'm constantly in conversation with all kinds of people. I have all kinds of people in my network who I talk to. And what I'm like, what I'm just beginning to realize is that like that, that fancy house, that fancy car, like they don't make you happy. Yes. Right. So good. And, and a lot of people who work these like doctor, lawyer, and like they might, they might be very happy with their lives, but they might be totally miserable because they're overworked and they like, they don't have enough time to do the things they want to do. And yeah. I know a lot of people who who wanted to pursue careers in the arts, but then they were they were attracted to the high salary of the like high income career, yeah. and then they they had to abandon all of their art, and then they they might wonder one day like what would have happened if I had pursued my art career. Anyways, Naval, I mean, like, just to, just to compliment that really quickly, Naval, yeah. the, the guy of the quote, yeah, he says that money doesn't make you happy, right, but what it does is is it cures the common causes of unhappiness. Right. But what people think is that it makes you happy. No. So they'll pursue it 
Hey, yeah. It's cool if you pursue it because you love that job or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they'll pursue it or they'll glamorize it, yeah. thinking that'll make it'll make them happy. But all it does is it it fixes the common causes of unhappiness, like hunger and yeah, and like not having. A but it doesn't and, do more. Yeah, you'll yeah. still need it eventually. Yeah. So so yeah. Can you can you pull the mic? Uh, oh sure sure sure. Yeah 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 Con- yeah. Continue. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, I mean, I struggle with this dynamic all the time because many people in my network are very high powered professionals who yeah. are rocking it. They're wonderful people. I love them. They're great people. <laughs> it's not that I like, um, but it does create an enormous insecurity. Cause like when I was in high school, I was like a go-getter. Like I was like very ambitious and I, you yeah. know, I wanted to do well. And, um, so it, it can be very stressful, but like just back to this quote that you shared about authenticity, it's like, well, I, I'm extremely fulfilled by the life that I'm leading right now. I hope that it'll continue like that for a while, but I feel blessed. I feel like I, I get to make my art and I feel so enormously satisfied by that, that like, I need to tell myself, like, stop comparing yourself to other people. If you're living a life that you're, you're so happy with, right? Like, why would, why would you like tell yourself that you're not as rich or not as high status as another person it's like i'm living my truth and it brings me enormous joy and that's all i should be focusing on what i've what i've identified going back to what you're saying and us having these feelings is that i the common denominator is that in these circles which is my problem by the way not theirs i don't feel enough uh, you know yeah because yeah. I used to feel enough because I'm like killing it downtown. And this yeah. is like self, my, my own, my own situation, not theirs. Yeah. But because I love to win and because I love to be best friends with everyone and, yeah. and I love to compete and, and I love my parents to be proud of me. And, yeah. and when I'm hanging out with bankers again and I don't have anything to put on the table, like accomplishments right. to me, it's hard. It's hard because a comedian is Oh yeah, whatever you do, comment. <laughs> but, no, but, but no, I know, no. I know that it's incredible. It's I love what I do. Yeah. But I just love to win in in, in every no, circle. I, I can understand the yeah. feeling, but um, but you don't know how they're looking at you. For you, sure. You you just gave me a little hand gesture of like a hand sweeping you away, like you're nothing. I doubt that's how these people perceive you as a person. I mean, I already. I, I, you know, I know a few people who know you and they're so impressed with what you're doing. Thank you. And, and I think a lot of people, as I told you, when I, right, when I walked through the door, I was like, a lot of people have the dream of doing what you're doing Yeah. and they might look at you and say, that's so exciting. And, 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 you know, so, so I think, I think our, our minds can play tricks with us. They can play games Certainly. with us and, and, um, I, I, this is one of the great mysteries of just knowing other people is like, we never know how we're perceived. We never really know, you know? And, and, um, I think you're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I think, I think I'm amazing too. And I'm yeah. really proud of what I've accomplished. It's just something that I battle with where yeah. no, I, I, I have it. to consciously override my bullshit. What a yeah. uh, guest, um, his name is Gavin Baines. He's a mental coach. He came yeah. on the. He's in Vancouver. Great guy, yeah. and he says he has the best quote. He's like, "Where people go wrong, is that they try to fix themselves. Yeah, you can't. 
fix yourself. You yeah. got to override the bullshit. Yeah. Like I'm still, when I go in these circles, I'm still going to have that first instinct of like, oh, like I'm not enough, but I got to override it. Yeah. Like yeah. sometimes I'm going to, and you may have some instincts too, or, or other people may have some instincts. Like um, Alejandro Bivar, he was on this podcast and yeah. he's, he, he was in jail oh. and it, He's he's been out. He's he's finished probation. He's a great guy, and he's t- he's turned his life around. He said he was going for a jog, and uh, after ten years, after eight and a half years in jail, he's he's outside. He's going for a jog with his dog, and he sees a bank car, like the like the bulletproof ones, the big yeah. ones, you know. Yeah. And he sees the two security guards bringing out the the money bag, the bags. Yeah. And the first instinct he had was, "How would I do this?" How would I steal this? How would I, how would I, how would, but that's, he's like, he said it. He's like, I have a criminal mind, man. I can't change it. Right. That's my first instinct. You can't fix yourself. You got to override the bullshit. Right. Right. And so he's got to develop that self-awareness in that third eye to be Mm -hmm. like, okay, what do I do now with it? I got to override it and be the person who I want to be. Yeah. It's a discipline. It's like a, it's a a discipline that you need to establish to, to move past Definitely. those feelings. Yeah. I have some uh, rapid fire questions for you. Rapid this is the second uh, okay. this is the second part of the of the podcast. Okay. And it's a much shorter part. So say every anything that comes to mind. Okay. So what is one thing you can't live without? Such a hard question. Can you give me like 30 seconds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get, One thing I can't live with. It could be something physical. It could be your iPhone. It could be uh, your camera. Probably my family. Your family. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. What is your most used emoji? Heart. Heart. Red, blue, black. The dark red. They're two different hearts. Oh, There's yeah. like a dark red and a lighter red. I much prefer the darker red heart. Nice. Yeah. All-time favorite movie? It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart amazing all-time favorite tv show i don't really watch tv i don't know but like maybe like arrested development or six feet under something like that yeah the favorite the out of the films that you've done yeah which one is your favorite probably parlor pop my most recent one beautiful Yeah. yeah if you could invite three people Living or dead, so they live right now or from the past, or, or celebrities, whoever you want. If you can invite, invite three people, living or dead, to your home for dinner, who would they be? Um, Virginia Woolf. Who is she? She's a writer. She's okay. a writer, yeah. Uh, Maude Lewis, who's a painter. She's a painter from Nova Scotia, I think. And... so hard Um, Stefan Dyer Stefan Dyer okay yeah we'll say that we'll say that I can't think of a third one so (laughs) okay okay no worries you have your own late night talk show oh this is my dream I dream of this who do you invite as your first guest they they can't be the three that you okay Leonardo DiCaprio beautiful yeah what's your first question for Leonardo DiCaprio um, I would just ask him so many questions about Titanic because that was such a oh you love Titanic movie. nice yeah, yeah 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 I think that was the first movie I saw at the at the theater with my parents where there was nudity <laughs> yeah. 
Very awkward. Uh, if you could study with any expert in the world, who would you study with and what would you study? Probably Adam McGoyan, who's a Canadian film director, but I, I'm already, yeah. You're I, already working with him? Well, I don't work with him, but I'm in conversation with him and I, I, I like hearing his thoughts because I think he's very interesting. Impressive. Yeah. Isn't that f fascinating that some, one of the people that you want to work with, you've already been talking well, to? Well, I mean, I mean, we just, we have a few conversations, but like, we're not like, I don't, I don't work with him very closely. Or yeah. Yeah. But the fact that you know him. That you've talked to, that's brilliant. That's that's so exciting. Like yeah. some people could say LeBron James and nobody, like maybe you won't ever talk to LeBron James. But I think that's so cool, which just solidifies the fact that you've worked so hard. Sometimes we don't want to give ourselves credit. Mm. Like I have a, some friends from Netflix that they've done comedy specials. I, yeah. I talk to them and I'm like... Yeah, whatever. They're just friends. People. But it, it does speak a lot of, of what I've accomplished in, yeah. in comedy because yeah. they know who I am. I, they're close yeah, friends. That's and amazing. the same with your yeah. example. It, yeah, it, well. it does speak volumes of what you've accomplished. Okay. One, what is one bad recommendation that you often hear in filming? A bad recommendation that I hear in filming. Especially something... for people who want to start filming or, or doing their first short film. Oh, well, when they, when you're writing scripts, they often suggest that you read all these books about script writing. And I really, I really disagree with that. I think you should just, I think that filmmaking is most interesting and powerful if you try and base it on your own life experience and, and not think too much about formulas or, you know, the experts recommendations like escape yeah. competition through authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. I love there it. There we go. Yeah. Beautiful. Who? Who is the first person that comes to mind when you hear the word successful and why? Uh, I've got like my three best friends who well, I've got lots of best friends. The three of my best friends are like actually all of my best friends. Like, I don't want to name only three of them. Like, yeah, like all of my best friends are killing it and just like, so accomplished in the world in so many different ways and, and achieving success in like all the most powerful and exciting ways. So yeah, I'd say my best friends, all of them. <laughs> Love it. And a lot of personal growth people who I respect, like Tony Robbins and Darren Hardy and Jim Rohn, they say that you are the average of the five closest people to you. Oh, Patrick used to tell me that. Really? I, yeah. I, yeah. Patrick used to say that. I love that idea. Um, it, it, it's fascinating to me. It's like just trying to think about like what all of those five people bring into your life. It's uh Yeah, try it out for our listeners. I know you won't know exactly the amount of money they make, but try to map out how much money they make, what they do if if they are in fitness, if they are healthy, if they are spiritual, if they are have great relationships, if they do personal development, if they're good in business. For sure, I know it's a little intangible, but you will be very close to the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Yeah. Okay. Last two. What would be the title of your autobiography? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm already like writing my autobiography over Instagram, like in very small little yeah. like, posts. I Because I do a lot of writing. I often write about my own life. Yes. 
I don't, I have probably some pun on the word love. I don't know what it would be. <laughs> like she loves her life. No, that's, that's so tacky. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not particularly clever at, at t- titles are so hard to yeah. like when I'm picking a title for a film is so hard to find the right word. I don't have an answer to that question. Do you pick? But... Do you pick it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I pick my own titles. Or uh, yeah. I mean, by by that I mean, do you come up with it all yeah. the time? Yeah, yeah. Or do you um, use Patrick or your parents or, oh, or no, uh, no. people you look up to as a sounding board? No, no. I come up with it. My, like I'm sometimes I'll bounce ideas off of people, but I always come up with titles myself. I love puns. Like I love word plays. You know. Yeah, same. I'm, yeah, I love that too. Yeah. And then the last question before we move on to the last question of sure, the podcast. Sure, the last question. Okay. There's a, so this is the last question of the rapid fire and then the champagne question. The champagne question. Okay. If you could have been born in any other period of humanity, for example, in the 1600s, in the right. 1970s, in the 50s, 3,000 years ago, what era, what period of humanity would you have picked and why? So late 1800s, I'd say like 1860, 1870, um, when the Impressionist painters were painting their paintings. I'm obsessed with, I just love thinking of that period of time. Um, but I'm really happy with the, I was born in 1990. I think it was a great year to be born because um, I'm just, I'm very happy with the life I'm leading. And like, I don't know if I would necessarily have been leading such an exciting life if I was born in any other time. So one of those two, like either stick with what I got or late 1800s. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value to um, not think of what it could have been because <laughs> that that has driven me crazy. Yeah. To yeah. just think of what a, my, my life would have been if I stayed in Costa Rica or if I was born in Peru or if I stayed in El Salvador yeah, or Quebec yeah, or, like, oh my, yeah. or the bank. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Okay. We've come to the end, and this <laughs> champagne question is the question that all our guests get. Sure. And it's the last question, so it goes like this. If we were to meet a year from now right. with a bottle of champagne, right. what are we celebrating in Rebecca Love's life? Oh, that's a beautiful question. So I have funding now for my first feature-length film, um, but I need to do some more fundraising. So this time next year... Like ideally, we'd be sh- we'd be shooting our feature, but I'd be shooting my feature. But it's not. I still have some more more things I need to get going on. But uh, but that's the dream to just keep plowing away with the filmmaking and make more films. And, Beautiful. Yeah. How, just I'm curious. How does that work? So you get the funding. Yeah. And these people become like executive, like they're investors in it. It's a it's a government grant. Oh, it's a government. It's grant. a government grant. Yeah. And yeah. then. As a filmmaker, you go with this money and you curate the entire process. You get your, you're the director. Yeah, and the producer. And the producer. Yeah. And the writer, or do you work with other writers? the writer, yeah. Okay, and then you curate who is going to be acting in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. You get to do (laughs) everything. Yeah. What's your favorite part of the entire process? Um, Production is really stressful because... You have a million things to think about and the stakes are so high because every minute of your day is expensive, right? Like yeah. your whole, like if you miss a day of shooting, you might lose thousands of dollars, right? It's like, um, but the, the energy on set, it's like you become a little family. And, and I work with this actor named Sarah Swire, who's like unreal. She's just so great. And, and many other people who are on our team and, um, 
yeah, it's just, it's, it's an exciting time. High, Do you already energy. have the, the script or? Yeah. Oh, you already have it. You're, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, because you have to apply for the grant with, yeah, the, script. with the script. Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing. And then what's your least favorite part of the process? My least favorite part, I don't like, I, I haven't been asking people for money because I've been getting government grants. But asking people for money is not always, it's like exciting in the sense that the community comes together. Yeah. But it's also, I don't, I don't love that part. Um, the legal paperwork. Oh yeah. The, the, the deal memos, like the agreements. Um, Cause I'm, I'm doing all of that. That's like when you're, when you're working on a film and you're the director and the producer, you're doing all of the creative work, but then you're also doing all of the budgeting and all of the legal paperwork, you know? And, and anyway, so it's um, yeah, it can be like, bit of a balance trying to try to like it's like using different parts of your brain and but it's it's very exciting and i'm i'm really excited to see what comes next beautiful well on that note i also want to connect you with sal Veles jr sure who is an incredible actor and uh, producer in la he's okay. on the podcast oh. and i just filmed i just recorded with him a couple days ago okay and he's he's worked with Incredible people, John Travolta, Oliver Stone, wow, uh, Michael Key, like so many people. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know, but you probably know them all of them because wow. they're they're pretty big in the that industry. That's very exciting. Uh, with Ben Affleck, he just did wow uh, the way back. I think it's called the movie, and he's always looking to work with with new people to meet new oh, people. And I think you're you you would be a great amazing. Fit. Well, uh, I'd love to, love to I'd love to get connected with him for sure. He's a fantastic guy. And my friends, we're, we got to the end of this podcast. I, <laughs> I, I deeply admire you. I'm so happy of your journey and, and mostly who you're being in the process. Because you could, you could do all of this while not being who you are in the public eye, which is very easy, by the way. And I'm not, I'm not shitting on the people who are not public about their, their struggles or, or being as vulnerable as, as you are. Yeah. But I, again... I'm not going to get tired of saying it. You are giving a voice to the people who have lost it. And you are making people feel seen and heard, which I think is, is uh, a big part of your legacy. So so continue (laughs) doing that. I I will continue to to follow your journey. And now um, do you have any closing remarks? Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this show. This has been such a wonderful experience and I feel really honored to be here talking with you. And it's also just nice to see this has been quite a while, but uh, yeah, no, these were, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. Thank you, Rebecca. Big hug to you. Big hug to, to Patrick your brother, who I love deeply, to, to Peter and, and Bridget, who have been uh, second parents to me, especially when I was at U of T, so kind and so loving. Even my mom went to have dinner at your place when yeah. she was here, yeah. and uh, the, she always asks me about them. Aww. So big hug to, to the Love household, uh, to, to the Higgins uh, household, to the <laughs> Love Higgins uh, family, and uh, Rebecca Love, Stefan Dyer, on the Stefan Dyer podcast. Chao, chao. Gracias por escuchar el Stefan Dyer Podcast. Arrivederci, my people.